Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, here we are back in the AES studio. It feels great. I was a little bit late to the game. I went and grabbed lunch and it was a little later and you came in and you were just plugging things in and getting ready to go. I could just sense the excitement of being back in the studio. I mean, I've got the energy today. What can you say? <laughs> nice. Well, I'm glad you do. I'm a little tired. Like I said earlier, I've got finals this week, so it's been long days and short nights, but the next I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break and hopefully in here being able to do much more recording and other exciting work stuff. With that said, Matt, today, again, you came up with some great ideas, one of them being sampling. And with regards to sampling, that's, you know, mud engineers on a rig oftentimes get asked to collect samples of mud to which then they get sent to the lab in either Midland or here in Houston. And you and the technical team take that and do whatever it is that is required. And so, but backing up back to the sampling part, it's extremely important to collect the right amount, to have them labeled. XYZ, ABC. And so I think we're here to talk about, well, I know we're here to talk about, but I do have some questions around that. And so why is it important just in general to collect good samples? And we'll take it from there. I mean, it's, it seems obvious, but it is just that garbage in, garbage out, right? So keep in mind that, you know, a lab or an outside party, they're not out at the rig. So as much of what they know is what you've given them as far as the information and the quality of that sample. And so we find ourselves frequently in situations where something went wrong. Granted, AES Mud Engineers, I'm not talking about you. Actually, we do pretty well on that. But what we find is, you know, I just tried to list out a few recent examples. So somewhat, you know, you have a tool failure and somebody catches a mud sample for a third-party mud check. And it turns out, lo and behold, the numbers are just way, way out there where you say, look, this isn't even mathematical error. There's no way that you could have drilling performance the way it is and have a mud check that bad. And then you start to dig into it and it's, oh, actually, they don't know where they got the sample from. Or, well, I just grabbed it from the flow line. And so they're not getting representative samples and it creates a lot of these issues and so knowing where the sample came from, I think is really important. I think if you're a mud engineer in the field and you see somebody else catching a mud sample, be like, hey, I'm going to catch one myself too. And we'll just, we'll split the sample and that way, you know, same, same. Yeah. But we've encountered that. We've encountered samples being caught from the sand traps, which guess what? Retort values are pretty bad. Mm. You know, when we've done solids control studies and you can't really read the samples or they're not labeled in enough detail. So, you know, you have two centrifuges out there and it just says sample from centrifuge, you know, things like that. And especially with a solids control study, there's so many samples. And so you really need somebody to break it down for you. You know, the other one that we run into a lot is, you know, I think most people know my opinions about water activity and most of these unconventional shales, but we always try and rule it out. And so we'll do some studies and you got to catch cuttings and you've got to check the relative humidity. Well, that means the cuttings can't dehydrate. They can't release any moisture. And so, you know, if these cuttings are just thrown into a container that has a lot of air in it, 
you're going to end up losing some of that moisture and you're not mm. going to get a good reading. It's one of the reasons we like to use a hygrometer in the field, but one of the reasons I like to do it in the lab is I can use more reliable equipment. Yeah. So trying to find that balance, but once again, just, you know, sample quality being an issue. And those are just a few of them, but those are things that, we, that we've encountered where it's like, okay, we need to all be on the same page yep. and let's try and get a representative sample. Right. And I know there's been a lot of effort over the years to communicate that to the field. And it still seems like every once in a while, whether it's yourself or Lee will mm. will send a message and say, and it's, you know, granted it's done in a nice way, but I can tell there's like, guys, we've told you a thousand times, please put labels, do this, do that. And the other, and so like, why, I mean, again, and you've been a mud engineer, I've been a mud engineer. Why do you think it's hard after so long to kind of keep consistent with proper sample collection and labeling? I mean, what, where's the disconnect you think? I mean, I think sometimes it's just, if you don't know why the sample is being requested, it's like, okay, whatever, let me go like slam a Gatorade bottle and rinse it out and yeah. get some mud or what, you know, it's just, okay, I'll do it while I'm out there or I'll send the Derek hand or, yeah. you know, so I think a lot of it is not understanding, wow, this, this could come back and be a problem for me later mm -hmm. and how, you know, it's like mixing a lab barrel and then extrapolating it out to a huge mud system. It's like you have, you know, a tablespoon of cuttings and extrapolating that to everything you're going to do in a huge mud system. Yeah. The errors just get bigger and bigger. I think that's it. I think, you know, Sometimes people just, you know, if you think about a directional hand trying to pull a sample or, you know, even the, you know, somebody with the operator, you know, there's, it's all mud, right? What's the difference? I think, I think the mud engineers know a little bit better what's up. At least ours know that that could end up in a lab where a mud check is going to be made that better be reasonably close to what they're reporting. Yeah. And so like that, you know, I, I think our mud engineers are pretty good at it short of sometimes the challenge is. We try and be resourceful on the rig and it's like packaging stuff and making sure it's sealed up. So, you know, the reason you'll always hear about it from Lee is when we receive a sample like that in the lab and being ISO 9001 certified, it triggers what's called a non-conformance report, which basically just means lots of paperwork for those poor guys Yeah. <laughs> to explain how you're going to fix it. And it's really hard when you have like a work instruction and you have all the procedures there. It's like all you can say is, oh, they didn't follow procedures moving on, but mm -hmm. then we have to report those up to Calgary and like have regular meetings on how we're going to reduce our nonconformance rate and all that. And almost all of our nonconformities involve sampling. Yeah, no, and it is kind of ties back to just like having an understanding as to the why things are being done. And it's, you know, it's kind of, I take it back to when I was a roughneck. I remember lots of times mud engineers would get me to do things and I was, I have no idea why. So am I going to take that much or put that much emphasis onto like the fine minute details. It's, you know, like, for example, be like, oh, mix this sack, makes 10 sacks, you know, with, you know, two and a half minutes a sack and this and that. And like, he turns his back and I just cut the sack and dump it. And I'm like, really, does it matter? Like, it's dirt in a bag going into this huge thing. But, you know, and then this kind of goes into like, as a mud engineer, they hear collect sample, but understanding the why, which is a lot of times what I know for myself, I try and if, if I'm trying to get a money engineer to do something outside of just the total normal scope of work, I try and educate them as to the why and the impact. And if we get good information or if we get good data or a good sample, here's the outcome and here's why it's important. And then they can understand, oh, okay, that's why they're asking me to do these silly things. And whereas otherwise it would be like, ah, oh, whatever, I'll just, like you said, slam a Gatorade, throw some mud in there and 
you know, hope for the best. But yeah, and then you also mentioned something interesting that I think maybe recently or maybe not, but the ISO, what was it? Yeah, ISO 9001. Can you explain? Because I don't think a lot of people know what that is. Yeah, so I mean, ISO 9001 is International Standards Organization. It's it's basically, 9, there's a bunch of these, right? So like 9001 is quality, 14001 is like environmental. There's There's a bunch of these standards and it basically shows that you have a quality management system and our lab is ISO 9001 certified, which means we have certain procedures in place and it can get fairly detailed depending on your activity and, and your operations. And going back to buy-in, that was one thing that, you know, I don't know, maybe a year ago or six months ago presented to our, our account managers just explaining like, the reason I won't test anything without a lab request is because our procedures require us to have a lab request to start the test right? because we assign unique ID numbers to the samples and to the project. And like, you can't initiate any of that without any information whatsoever. Right. But then they were like, oh, that's why you're making me fill that out. And you got the buy-in kind of like you're describing. Hmm. And sampling is a similar thing. If you want to have a quality lab report from samples received, part of that is quality information quality, condition of the sample, all those things. And so that's why it's probably the most common thing we have a non-conformance write-up for going into the lab. Right. And that's the last thing you want to do is having to spend time on all that extra back-end work when it would have been easily, you know, resolved or what's the word I'm looking for? Prevented if, you know, just a little extra minute on the rig or whatever would have been put in. So, but anyway, no, I'm, I'm glad you cleared some of that up because it's been, you know, I, I have conversations like that every once in a blue moon with her, you or anyone else in the lab, but just, you know, again, added information for the audience, I think is important. So what are some of the keys for sampling? You mentioned a little bit about it, but can you kind of just list out some of the very critical keys for proper sample collection? I mean, I think the first thing is figuring out what sample type you're catching. And in, in all likelihood, that's probably going to be a mud sample. Mm-hmm. However, it could be cuttings or cavings, but make sure it's representative of what the potential investigation is. If it's just you want an extra mud check run in the lab, you know, it may be that you make sure that the system is homogenized, that you're not aggressively treating or having a serious issue, you know, make sure that it's representative of what's going on. Yeah, And I think that's you know, that's fine. And if you feel like you're, you know, you're afraid you're going to get in trouble or something, I would catch one sample in the middle of the situation. And then once you fixed it, catch another sample, label both, send them in. And then at least the lab can come back and say, well, yeah, there was a serious issue, but the treatment worked. And then you, the mud engineer, get to be the hero, right? As opposed to, wow, I'm sending in this sample that makes me look bad because we're taking a water flow that I can't control, (laughs) you know, location, location, location. So you know, get a representative, if it's mud, get a representative sample from suction pit, you know, cuttings are a little bit easier because it's, you know, you're normally just going to catch them straight off the shakers, but, you know, just make sure you get enough. And AES folks, we have guidelines on quantities of samples that we need for different tests, Mm. but make sure you get enough and make sure you get enough from each location. And when we have the volumes, yeah, they're going to be a little high, but We're trying to minimize the amount of waste we have. So we're going to sandbag it enough that you don't need to sandbag it. If I ask for a gallon, I I probably can handle it with less than that, but please don't send me five. (laughs) Um, But sufficient quantity because some testing, you know, for example, a mud check, some of that is destructive, right? You burn it through a retort, you're not getting it back. So some of these different, particularly when we get into more sophisticated analytical tools, 
I will destroy the sample by doing my test. And I right. need enough volume or quantity to make sure that I can do all of the tests I think I might need to run because it's, you know, it's a snapshot in time frequently. Right. And then, you know, sample quality, I think that I sort of mentioned that on kind of the mud conditions, but even just anything you can think of that might undermine quality. If you're catching a sample of product that's out on location that looks funny, make sure you get something representative, you know, with cuttings and that sort of thing. Don't catch cuttings and then let them sit on the counter in the mud lab for three days and then decide <laughs> to put them in a container. Right. You know, because quality undermines it and then, and then preservation. So you might catch a good sample, but especially if we're measuring water activity or some of these other things, I don't like to leave a bunch of headspace in a sample container. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might catch some cuttings, but I want you to top them up with base oil or base fluid, whatever that is. Yeah. And that can certainly help. Core and caving material. If it's going to be stored for a long time, it needs to be stored in something like wax, something that'll limit water movement and let us still access it. And so core plugs is like a whole other deal because they cost a gazillion dollars to extract. And then people keep them in these like core libraries under like ambient conditions and they all turn into just crumbly garbage. Yeah. And it's just kind of sad. Right. But I think those are kind of some of the, you know, the really big ones. And and the thing is, if you think you're doing it wrong, you don't know, check, number one. Yeah. Number two, if you think you've done it right, label exactly where you got it from. And that way, if there's ever any question, at least even if the sample was taken from the wrong place, we don't make decisions based upon information we got from a sample taken from the wrong place. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And I mean, something that you you mentioned recently and just now is is you mentioned labeling. Again, I can count, you know, on several occasions how many times I had to collect samples. And it was always in my mind to provide more information that was asked. But not everyone does it because a lot of times you're in a rush, you get it, you may write on there with a Sharpie or maybe by accident, like a wash, like a dry erase marker thinking it's going to stick when you're just, you know, you got a thousand things going on. So you're not really thinking about it. But I mean, how important is proper labeling? It's very, very important. And I don't know if I've ever perfected, I mean, I get it. I'm a guy in a lab and I I would say, hey, use an approved sample container. And we know that everybody improvises. Even if we send them out to you, you won't have, you know, give it three weeks and you won't have any of those containers. They'll all disappear one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so if you do have to improvise as far as sample containers, label it. What I like to do is also number them. Mm. on two points, usually on the lid and on the side, along with my label, basically just, and then I'll keep like a little catalog, like, you know, send an email and be like, okay, sample number one is this, sample number two is this, with all the information in case it rubs off, you know, the label, if you don't have a good label to stick on it. Yeah. But right where you got it from. So write down that sample point, be as specific as you need to be, the depth, you know, whatever depth you write when you were drilling, what the drilling activity was, if you, you know, if you're not drilling or, you know, if you're circulating or whatever's going on, writing down the time can be helpful, especially if you're tripping or, you know, any, any of those situations where it won't be obvious by looking at the depth. Right. And then the material. And that may sound a little bit, you know, like mud should look like mud and cuttings will look like cuttings. What we find, though, is, for example, you know, our folks who work in the Northeast, those cuttings are like coffee grounds. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell if it's mud or if it's cuttings, especially when I've told you to top it up with base oil and, mm-hmm. you, you know, and it's pure black. And so even saying that this is cuttings or cavings or, or what have you, 
I think those things, you know, as much information as you can practically provide, but the main thing is have a unique identifier and then have a backup so that if somebody says, hey, your actual samples, like everything rubbed off and you know, it's like, well, can you see a one? Yes. Okay. Well, actually, number one is at this depth. Yeah. You know. And one thing too that I used to do, and I think some folks do it now, is as a mud engineer, was anytime I took a sample, I would do a mud check, and and I would package that with the sample of mud. Now, granted, if it's cutting is different, but then that kind of gives an added sort of reference as to okay, this mud sample is is this mud check on this column. And and then that way, and hopefully when making the lab request, you include the mud report for it. But it was just always kind of, you know, it would avoid the, the account manager or someone from the lab calling me and asking me a bunch of questions. It's like, I'm busy enough. I'm going to give you all the information that I would able to provide you otherwise. So here you go. So that's another thing too, is if you can add a mud check, you know, with all that information on there, that's added help for you guys for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about storing because Again, in that one thing too, I wanted to mention for all the mud engineers out there, do yourself a favor, get with your field supervisor and, and always have sample bottles and things readily available. Because the last thing you want to do is get into a bind at two in the morning. You don't have sample containers, the company represent on the location. Everyone's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. And if you don't have sample containers to collect stuff with, and you have to ask around for empty bottles, it just, it doesn't look great. So if you can have a cabinet full of bottles that are, you know, like proper storage bottles, which we'll talk about here in a minute, just, it really helps you. It helps the lab. It helps the customer be prepared is basically what I'm trying to say. Storage, Matt, let's talk about storage, what kind of bottles, why it's important and the rest of it. So I think, you know, on the container size, it's just relative to the volume that you have. So you want to fill up the container which means get a small enough container for, you know, a quart container for a mud check or, or what have you. I think, you know, obviously something that's compatible with plastic. I don't encourage it, but I've gotten enough of these drink bottles and stuff that <laughs> our mud isn't that that hazardous to those kinds of things. But you just, you really don't want to leak. You know, top everything up with base fluid if it's cutting or that sort of thing. If not, you know, fill up with enough mud so there's not that head space where a bunch of evaporation can occur. Yeah. Secure the lid. Uh, so <laughs> I mean this, you know, not only getting it on really nice and tight, but even maybe some tape around it. But if any of that leaks through or whatever, it's just, it's a mess. You know, even if you're not shipping it, if you're transporting it in a truck, for example, like you don't want that spilling out in somebody's trunk. Trust me, I've seen it. So, you know, one thing I would do sometimes to keep the label from rubbing off is assuming we've made it this far, once it's filled up, <laughs> yeah. if I have packing tape, I'd actually put packing tape over the label, but not in a way so that when you go open the container, it'll peel off. Mm -hmm. So like it's sort of a, to keep your Sharpie from rubbing while it's yeah. in shipment. And then, you know, going back to your, you know, any packing materials that are necessary, but like going back to your documentation point, you know, there needs to be an SDS if it's going to be shipped. A mud check is so helpful, as you've mentioned. And the only other thing I would add is on the documentation side, if you're catching cuttings or you're doing something else and there's other people on the rig who get you a little more information, ask them. So, you know, if, if the mud loggers are out there and you're supposed to catch cuttings, catch cuttings with them. Or, you know, I've seen, you know, the clever types actually be like, you know, hey, man, I'll make you a pizza if you catch my cuttings for me. Yeah. And what formation are we on? You know, how would you, you yeah. know, can I have some of your notes? And, you know, geologists, other people like, hey, I'm doing this right now. Is there anything else I need to know? That right. stuff can be incredibly insightful. So any extra little tidbits, if, if you want to score brownie points with the lab, 
that's definitely a huge thing you can do. Right. Well, you know, it sounds simple and it's, you're literally putting dirt or mud in a container and shipping it off, but clearly there's a lot that goes into it. And then once it even, again, like hopefully we've made it as far as it comes to the lab in one piece, the labels there, everything else is there. It goes so far beyond just packaging and shipping it. And that data can be used to, you know, do a whole lot of things. And at the end of the day, it's about providing quality information and lab results back to, you know, our internal key folks in here, clients, but just, you know, it's important to consider what goes in and as to why we're asking for these things. Matt, is there anything else that you'd like to mention? The only qualifier before anybody runs too far with some of the things I've said, (laughs) I will say, you know, if you're doing something like an, think about what you, what the study is. So if we're doing oil on cuttings, Fill the container with cuttings, but obviously don't top that up with base oil because it adds oil to the, right, you know, yeah. just think through some of those steps with specific requests. But if it's, hey, we're going to run x-ray diffraction, we're going to run a hygrometer or something like that, preserve the cuttings as best you can. Yeah. So to your point that I think you sort of inspired me to mention was think through what, what you're going to be asked or what we want to do with the samples, because, you know, that's obviously important as well. Yeah. And don't, ever assume. If you, if you have questions, I mean, you talk to the field supervisors and, and account managers enough, just ask. Even if you think it's a silly question or, hey, should I top this off with mud or, you know, just anything you could think of. Don't assume because if you can take an extra few minutes to talk to somebody who can give you a direct answer, it saves a bunch of time and headache here in, in the lab, especially. So Absolutely. That, that's all the questions I had, Matt. Any Anything else you can think of? No, that's all I got. I just thought it was worth visiting because yeah. we've run into this where it like, I think most managers are like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we run into this problem. This happens a Often, lot. Right? It's frustrating. Why not do a podcast episode on it? Yeah, exactly. So. Well, if you have any other questions or any information you'd like to add to that, certainly hit Matt or I up on LinkedIn, or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. And with that said, everyone, be safe. Enjoy your rest of your day. Take care for now. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.